Welcome to the Monday Morning Director Podcast, everybody. I am James Anderson. Uh, this is the podcast for the month of March. Uh, in case you are new to my podcast, this is the only the second Monday Morning Director Podcast ever. Uh, I'm going to be doing a podcast every month. Uh, I do weekly movie reviews. That I post every written uh, movie review blogs every Monday. And uh, every month I'm going to, at the end of the month, kind of have a month-long uh, retrospective on ter- in terms of all of the movies that I reviewed for that month. Uh, in this instance, though, it is March. The last episode that I posted, which was the first episode, was not only a retrospective of the movies I'd seen for that month, but it was more of a retrospective for the movies that were nominated for Best Picture for the Academy Awards, and so was a Oscars preview. Uh, we are now a month removed from that, and there was there was a lot, uh, a lot of fallout from that uh, in terms of them announcing that La La Land won Best Picture and then ultimately realizing that they made a mistake when making the announcement and that Moonlight actually was the winner of Best Picture. Uh, if you listen to my uh, Oscars preview podcast, uh, I did both my picks and my per- uh, both my personal picks and my predictions, which are different. My personal picks were who I would give the award to out of the field, uh, and I chose Moonlight hands down. I thought it was the most complete film for the year. Uh, I thought that it was very well done. It was very creative, very artistic. Uh, everything from the cinematography to the script to the acting, everything all down the line, it hit on everything. The directing was by far the uh, fanta- fantastic for that. I thought Barry Jenkins should have won uh, for Best Director, but it went to Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Um, and if you read my La La Land movie review, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of musicals because I feel that they try, They sacrifice paying attention to a lot of the little details and the finer points that, that goes into filmmaking just solely for the... Uh, artistic like we are <laughs> we're a musical this is big over the top we got to focus on all the musical numbers and then we're going to completely f- uh, forget about character development and acting and the building of a plot and the building of a story beyond that they didn't do that with this one as much as i've seen with other musicals but it was still a flawed film because they did pay a lot of attention to the music which isn't a bad thing it's a musical but i was really glad to see that the academy even though they gave La La Land 14 nominations, didn't get so completely uh, just focused on the... It's a musical revival. It's a revival of this genre and just completely uh, give in to that and just shower La La Land with a bunch of awards because I feel like if they did and they gave La La Land Best Picture, people would be going back, looking at all the Best Picture winners and kind of re-watching them, getting ready for the next Oscars uh, season as it's coming up and watch that movie and be like, this isn't as good as I remember it because in the moment it is very easy with those types of movies where you want them to succeed, especially if you bit. I'm not a fan of musicals, but musicals were a at one point in time a huge part and a very successful part and a very beloved part of the uh, kind of rolodex of all the different uh, types of movies uh, in terms of the the big genres to go for uh, for that the Hollywood uh, critics and the and peers in the Academy loved. And it was one of those ones that, as time went on, died out as uh, the big blockbusters and action movies have kind of t- taken over. And the money side of this business took over the uh, whole kind of 
motivation for making movies is is so much more based on the money and the revenue that you can bring in from films now than it probably has ever been. And uh, musicals just haven't been big money makers. So the uh, what I was very annoyed by was the oh it was the little engine that could no one believed in this film. While musicals have died down, Damien Chazelle was nominated for writer and director and won for writer for his first film, which Whiplash, which was also nominated for best picture. This was by no and they had an A list cast. It, it was by no means La La Land was not the little engine that could. There were big people behind it. While it may have been a passion project in a in a genre that has been uh, very much on the back burner of the back burner of the industry, uh, they they it, it, I'm I'm glad that the Academy didn't get too caught up in that and they gave the award to the right film. Now in my predictions, I predicted that they would, and that and so I predicted Best Picture to go to La La Land. My personal pick was Moonlight. So my personal pick won on that front, but despite losing out on that, if you were following along on Twitter, I still ended up winning the pool with my friends at my watch par- at the watch party that I went to. Uh, so overall, the my personal pick and the movie I thought was the best movie of the year won, and on top of it, I won about ten bucks, so I was able to buy breakfast the next morning. So uh, it 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 wasn't too big of a pool. We didn't ask a lot of people to buy in. But it was kind of a last-minute decision to put money on it. We were just kind of doing it for fun, and then last second, it's like, oh, let's throw money in. Who has cash? And then no one really had anything more than, like, singles or, like, $5 on them. And it was fa- we felt it was unfair to ask people who only had singles on them of, like, $3 because they used it, de- like I do, uh, because we pretty much use our debit cards for anything, uh, to try and scrounge up $5 bills for those who did have 5 So we just went with, like, a $2 buy-in. Uh, and ultimately, I was able to win on that. Uh, but that's enough, I think, for the Oscars uh, wrap-up. I gave a, just talked and rambled a little bit about that longer than I wanted to. It was a, about five solid minutes of Oscars uh, re- in review a month following uh, the event. Uh, but let's move on to the March movie uh, retrospective uh, for the movies I've reviewed this month. Uh, the, it started with Logan, and then it went to Silence, and then I saw United Kingdom and Get Out as well. Uh, March was kind of the post-Oscars uh, uh, kind of continued trend of smaller independent films. It's p- before we really get to the big blockbuster season, uh, while Logan is a blockbuster superhero movie. Uh, usually, around this time of year, you'll get like one a month, and then the rest of it is kind of is continuing people pursuing those more artistic, uh, grounded films uh, that you would get with the Oscars, especially in recent years. Uh, so, ultimately, that despite that, uh, Logan was far and away the best out of the four. Uh, it, <laughs> it, besides Deadpool, which very much in and of itself, while it is a, a superhero movie, I feel it's like it's also a very big parody uh, style of, of film. Uh, this was the first real hard hardcore series to the story, series to the character, superhero movie to commit themselves to being an R rating. And they let you know early, because in the first five minutes of the film, probably the first, like, five seconds, honestly, he said the F word about 15 times. And uh, there was a good action scene where it was a little bit more gory than you would would you have probably would have seen with the PG-13 X-Men movies with Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. But it so they let you know quick. But... Oh, I'm happy to see that 
they didn't take the liber- uh they didn't take the oh we're going to be an R rating as an excuse to go over the top with gore and over the top with uh a, a lot of the the dialogue uh, beyond that first five minutes. It felt like the swear words did come organically for the most part. Um, and I, I loved the story. I, I, I loved the, I absolutely loved the story of it. Everything felt organic from the Skynet being introduced as the villain to Laura being introduced as Wolverine's daughter and how it, uh, she came to be his daughter without him actually being a part of that equation uh, through Skynet using uh, DNA research to try and create weapons uh, and create their own uh, mutants to be controlled by the government. And ultimately how, despite that, that father-daughter relationship was really uh, kind of formed just through the DNA and ultimately it grew through their interactions throughout the film. Uh I, I pretty much every single facet of this film. This was one of the best uh, Marvel character movies I've seen in a long time. It was not Marvel; it was Fox Studios using the Marvel rights for Wolverine. But I was very pleasantly, I'm not pleasantly surprised, but I I I was very happy with how they uh, were able to work that in, uh, work in pretty much every facet of the film. Hit. Uh, whether it was working for an emotional pull uh, from uh, his relationship with Professor X or his uh, growing relationship with his daughter, or whether it was to uh, scare you with uh, Skynet's overreach uh, through uh, as the villain throughout, as an as an entity and not as an individual villain, but as a uh, corporation, uh, I, I felt that that was very well done as well. Uh, Pretty much every single facet of this film hit for me, and the R rating was not overplayed. Uh, the R rating, it, it just happened to be rated R, which gave them a little bit more liberty with the script writing for the dialogue, but they didn't go over the top, whereas with Deadpool, they were they went over the top purposely uh, a lot of the times for comedic effect, which, uh, because it was part superhero movie, part parody of superhero movie, so it, they went for that, and then in this one, the they could have gone really over the top with the violence and really over the top with a lot of the swearing, and it didn't feel forced to me beyond those that first scene, and that first scene honestly wasn't a let's force feed a lot of F-words in there. It was more of like a, yeah, we're rated R. Let's let the audience know it's rated R uh, and acknowledge that we are aware of how unique of of a precedent this is setting, but then beyond that, let's get back to basics and make sure that we hit on the story and we hit on the characters because that's ultimately what superhero movies and pretty much every single movie needs to hit on to work, and they did that tenfold. Uh, the last movie I saw for the month was probably my second favorite, and that was Get Out. Uh, if you don't know what Get Out is, it was a small uh, independent horror film uh, produced by Blumhouse, written and directed by uh, Jordan Peele from uh, the Key and Peele uh, <laughs> sketch comedy group from Comedy Central. Uh, so to, this was his directorial debut. Uh, I believe he wrote Keanu, uh, which he did with his uh, comedic partner uh, as well from their sketch comedy show when they went on, when that show ended and they went into movies. Uh, but so I don't believe that this is his first was his first writing credit, but. Uh, he wrote and directed it. it. Interesting that his directorial debut is coming from a self-written 
horror movie for a guy who's been very, has pretty much been a comedian his entire career and has excelled in that, not just uh, was an okay comedian who then realized it wasn't working out and had to go into other genres to try and make his career work. He was very successful as a comedian, so he could have easily gone on to continue just making films like Keanu, but he wanted to try something different, and this was a fantastic directorial debut. The The script was very grounded from a writing standpoint. It, he kept it simple. It was very uh, well... Uh, he definitely got his comedic chops in there with one of the most organic and best comic relief uh, running gags I've seen in a uh, horror movie in a long time with his, the T- the friend who was a TSA agent as a part-time guy, and because he's in TSA, he's like, I can fix anything. I'm in TSA. I, we got this covered. TSA has this covered. We're going to we're gonna save you, buddy. We're going to save you. It's fine. But where the r- directing came into play, and coupled with the fact that he wrote the script, and so he was probably thinking a lot of this through uh, uh, for people who write and then direct their own written uh product a lot of times they can't really work uh because of script formatting the exact shot to shot list into the script uh that they have in their head into the script because it just doesn't read well uh but you have a really good idea in your head he had every little detail covered from they hit a deer on their drive up to Connecticut uh, to meet her to get to her parents' house, and he kind of walks over to check on the deer. And there's this awkward, weird zoom in on the eye of the deer, which comes back to play when he's captive. And they had a stuffed deer head on the wall in the basement in which he was held captive, and one of the eyes was replaced with a camera lens so that they can monitor him at all times. Uh, to any time he was uh, in an uncomfortable situ- situation, sitting in a chair, he was scratching. At the, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the movie. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned that before. There are going to be a lot of spoilers throughout these uh, retrospectives. Uh, it, it's hard to get into more details uh, beyond the written review without getting into very nitty-gritty specifics of the film, and that will be spoilers. Uh, I, I'll make sure to be better about that in the future retrospective podcast to say spoiler alert at the beginning of the episode. Uh, but back to Get Out, when he was uh, ever uncomfortable and kind of getting put into that hypnosis uh, situation where he, he was, whether he was tied down or not, he's scratching at the arms of the chair with his fingernails and just very nervous. And how doing that while under hypnosis, while captive, uh, it, 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 he ripped up the, the arm of the chair so much that the fuzz of the chair was coming out of it. And you made, he made sure to get close-ups of the fingernails Every time he was scratching it, every time he was in a chair and he was nervous and he was doing it, uh, and ultimately that came into play where he was able to tone out the audio cue that sent him into a deep sleep uh, because he took some of that fuzz from the chair and put it in his ear so he could not hear the audio cue, and he just pretended to fall asleep, ultimately leading to him being able to escape. It, uh, to the trigger uh, a lot of, for a lot of the times for the hypnosis that uh, was... Uh, the circling of the spoon by the mother of his girlfriend, uh, circling of the spoon around a, whether it be a tea, uh, a glass of tea, whether it was iced tea, hot tea, pretty much just doing that, uh, swirling it around the edge of the spoon so it was making a noise and then kind of tapping it a couple of times on the edge of the glass. That was a trigger cue. Uh, and he, the and every great filmmaker and every great comedian knows there is the rule of threes. 
and you got to make sure you hit everything three times for your audience to really have absorbed it and and have that recall of saying, okay, I've seen that multiple times now. It's got to be important. And if you do it more than three times, well, then it just becomes annoying and it becomes overplayed. If you The third time you see it, 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 it should be the big hit factor for, okay, now we have a payoff. And he worked that in beautifully with every single one of those uh, little trigger cues throughout the entire film. Uh, they were they were very well placed. It was a very well spaced film. Uh, even the little recall of there's an opening scene that doesn't involve the main character, but it's a guy walking around the suburban neighborhood and he gets captured. He gets brought back in as another character who has been now brainwashed and kind of taken over. And that that and is in a way one of the catalysts. Uh, through an accident where the main the protagonist of the film uh, just feels kind of freaked out and feels I need to get out of here this is not okay with what's going on here something is something is off and so uh, I it was just very well done on all fronts uh, probably the third best film when we get down to the last two of the four in uh, in this month. Uh, was Silence, uh, Martin Scorsese's film, uh, and then beyond that, United Kingdom. With Silence, it was very drawn out. Uh, if I wanted to go to a three-hour philosophy lesson, I would have taken f- uh, philosophy in like a once-a-week we- class at, uh, as an elective when I was in an, in, taking my undergrad. I, and that That's pretty much what this felt like a lot of times. It was drawn out. There was a lot of dead space uh, that was supposed to be the, the tension of it. There was a lot of big ideological questions being posed through voiceover uh, with shots of a silent Andrew Garfield supposed to be his internal monologue as a priest starting to question his own beliefs and question his uh, own will as uh, and question his own uh, the, the trials that he, he's supposedly being placed under uh, that's supposed to test his faith and how... Uh, he has to go through all these trials and without denouncing his religion through any external uh, uh, kind of <laughs> like either through stomping on uh, a like an idol of Jesus or uh, spitting on a crucifix like you, you can't if you do that it is somehow you turning away and shunning your faith uh, even though not doing so could mean your own life and the the ultimate question is, if Jesus went through all of the trials of being crucified and carrying the, and the carrying of the cross to then be reborn three days le- later to open the gates of heaven so that we could all uh, so that we could all be free of sin and ha- be open to forgiveness, then why do we feel as ourselves that the best way to show our strength of our faith in Jesus? is to abstain yourself from any sin at all. And we have to go through the same trials as he did and ask that we be given the same fate of death uh, for a martyrdom in honor of his name. The whole point of him going through those trials, isn't it, if we talk about, this is where it gets very philosophical, is you're asking yourself, what is the foundation of the Christianity and why do and, and all the questions that come along with that when you are put into a situation that tests your faith? What does it mean to profess your faith, and how is the best way to portray that? Even if going against 
what you believe is the best way. Uh, even if you decide not to denounce your faith, that same denounce, uh, denouncement uh, publicly, just as a front, could save others. Uh, and ultimately, isn't that the more, more the best moral thing to do is to uh, sacrifice your own external uh, kind of perception of who you are as a person of faith in order to save others from suffering. And so that that was pretty much the whole film. Could have been done in about two hours tops, and it was stretched out to a three-hour film, uh, where the whole first part, the first, like, 45 minutes, it dragged on. That could have been done in, like, two or three scenes, and while, in a way, that would feel rushed, and maybe the stakes of the film later on would not have been felt as strongly, then I would suggest that the story in and of, of, of itself is just not very compelling. And it it it's... It was based on a novel that he read back in the 80s, and it was a passion project for him, and he worked 20-plus years on it to get a script that was right, and supposedly for him to come to grips with the story, because it's so tough to grasp, uh, for him to feel that he was ready to uh, adapt it to film. Well, if the story is so tough for one of the best filmmakers of our time to grasp, and feel that he himself is prepared to adapt it in a way that is is susceptible to good... Uh, to engaging an audience, well then maybe the story just isn't built for film. Maybe the story is just not the type of story that can translate to the this medium and be as intriguing and engaging as and as successful as it should be. It would be a great novel to assign a, as a, uh, an assigned reading in a philosophy class in for any undergraduate or for, uh, uh, who is taking that as an elective. Because it is very interesting, and you don't even need to be a member of Christianity to be susceptible to these questions, because these questions can kind of speak to all religions and all faiths, uh, because it's really about questioning our the, the way in which we it is acceptable to show and portray our love for our faith, uh, and that, regardless of what it may be, and that's ultimately uh, what the questions of it were, as a film way drawn out, it was hyped up a lot because it's Martin Scorsese and because it was a passion project and a lot of people were going to give it Oscar buzz uh, going into the awards. Uh, the, one of the reasons I... Uh, it took me so long to even review it, even though it came out around Christmas time, is because it was re- in- incredibly hard to find a movie theater that was playing it because it got kind of mixed reviews coming out of the first weekend and then around the second or third weekend is when the actual Academy Award nominees were released and so then everyone was scrambling to get those to get to to jump on a little quick cash grab leading up to the Academy Awards on some of the smaller indie films that were then nominated because then people would want to go see it and this one was had a big name attached to it so they got it at first and then it got bumped out and so it took me forever to find it and be able to go and see it in theaters and actually saw it before I saw Logan but anytime there's a big blockbuster you I want to get that review out there as quick as possible so I, I pushed off when I was uh, releasing the review of Silence for the week following Logan. Uh, as for the fourth best film of the four, so the, the, the one that was the weakest uh, for this month was United Kingdom. It was a very memorable real-life story that the film was based on, but the film itself is going to be is kind of utterly forgettable to me. Uh, the performances... None of them really stick out to me. The script was very straightforward, way more political than I expected it to be. 
uh, the, the story is about uh, an African prince who, while in school in England, falls in love with an English woman uh, in the mid-20th century, and he has to fight against uh, his people and the British government who are in control of his country politically at the time because uh, because of... They at the time they had gone and they had conquered. They were still the British Empire of sorts, and they were uh, politically in control of a lot of countries in Africa at the time. Unfortunately, uh, and that meant that they imposed their will on a lot of situations, and inclu- including trying to force him to be separated from his wife. They brought him to England to uh, meet with him about uh, forcefully going through a divorce to uh, <laughs> so that they could break down uh, their marriage, and in turn banished him from his own country, leaving him, his uh, pregnant wife, back at the, uh, <laughs> uh, back in Africa at the time, and vice versa. Basically, they were just trying to, any way, which way under the sun, from both sides, from his country as well as from England, uh, they were trying to rip the two apart. It premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in the fall, and it made its way to theaters in March. Uh, the reason it was released after is because a similar... Uh, themed film Loving was released earlier in the year in the spring at Cannes Film Festival it was getting a lot of early Oscar buzz and one, and so if you're a uh, compete if you're a studio competing against a, a film with a similar plot line uh, and a similar emotional pull and you released yours after that one and that one's getting a lot of a lot of Oscar buzz then you're going to seem like the piggybacker. So that plus it wasn't getting as strong reviews in terms of being as powerful as Loving was. And the the big push for Loving early on in uh, the spring of last year died out as the year went along. And ultimately, I believe the only Oscar nomination it got was uh, for Ruth Naga uh, for Best uh, Actress, I believe, or Best Supporting Actress. It was one of the two. And... So a lot of that buzz around loving in the early going died out as the year went along, and by the time that that uh, buzz had completely died down was right around the Toronto Film Festival when United Kingdom was being released. So that storyline and that kind of emotional uh, heartstring tug for that type of storyline had kind of been played out already throughout the year, and this one wasn't executed as well anyway, as, as loving was anyway. So they said, let's jump on the post-Oscar buzz of the Oscar bait movies that didn't catch the the big fish in the Academy that in the Academy that would give them the nominations. So let's release a movie similar to movies that people heard were uh, good that were getting recognized at the Oscars uh, that will then maybe get a little bit of a cash grab following the failure of, tr- of getting a, a lot of the nominations. And the the real life story of the film it's viable it's definitely historically significant it is a heartstring uh pulling movie uh, not movie uh story but the movie in and of itself there's nothing really fantastic and over the top and memorable about memorable about, yeah memorable about it except for me having grown up with the Harry Potter films and Harry Potter being a a a huge influence on my life as I was growing up. Draco Malfoy's in this movie, and I didn't know that going into it, and that honestly surprised me, and I've never seen him in another role besides Malfoy, so that 
that was jarring. Every scene he was in was a little bit jarring to see him as a, a racist mid uh, mid twentieth century Englishman. Uh, so <laughs> that was definitely a unique experience for me, and that's probably the biggest pull I can take away beyond the real life story, uh, which you can find honestly on the internet on the on, <laughs> like or through documentaries on imperialism. You can find. Uh, the that real life story and be just as moved by it without this film uh, and in fact I think the film kind of bogs it down a little bit uh, so ultimately that's my main takeaways uh, for the month of March uh, for this retrospective feel free to follow me on Twitter at janderson underscore mmd uh, new movie reviews every Monday at 10.30am obviously for Monday Morning Director and this is the Monday Morning Director podcast for the month of March month of March 2017 be on the lookout for next week's movie review and also make sure to listen to my sports podcast with my girlfriend Gabby Riggy as well uh it is house divided uh we are I'm a Boston sports fan she's a New York sports fan so we talk about both Boston and New York sports uh we do an episode every week we release it usually around Monday or Tuesday so be on the lookout for that every week as well beyond that thanks for listening everybody